Welcome back to part two of our discussion with Pine Wu, creator of the beloved extension Vitor, where we are joined by panelists Ari Clark, Tessa, and myself. Let's kick it off. So I was wondering how many languages do you know, both programming languages and like, <laughs> like talking languages? I was also very uh, curious about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I speak Chinese. Uh, of course, I'm born in China, and I speak English because I'm talking English. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, each instructor uh, Deutsch. I speak a little bit German. I only learned it for a year when I was in college, but I spent eight years learning Japanese, and I think I'm pretty fluent in Japanese. When I go to Japan, I can have just daily conversations with people and uh, even make some jokes. That's when you know you're actually good at a language. I just、yeah. realized when you can joke in a language, that's、mm-hmm. just the thing. I mean, to be、yeah. fair, people people laugh at me when I speak Japanese, but I don't think it's for the same reason that they laugh at mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. I think learning languages by itself is already gives me a lot of ideas because basically the same kind of things. Some things are really hard to translate across languages, so I think knowing. How other people think, and knowing how other people will respond to your thought or your, it gives me a lot of ideas. Because basically, what I want to do is that I want to create tools that help accommodate people from different culture, people from different origin, people with different beliefs and the ways of thinking. Yeah, learning languages already give me a lot of thoughts. Yeah, but recently for speak programming languages, I think I'm mostly doing JavaScript, TypeScript. But recently, I'm trying to learn Racket. It's a Lisp descendant. And I don't know. I just like the, I like the language. I don't know why, but I I always wanted to start learning Lisp. There was a very famous book called Structure and Interpretation of Computer Programs, and I really much enjoyed that. So, but I thought in modern days, one of the most active descent of Lisp is Racket. So I'm just trying to learn it. The other reason I'm learning Racket is that there's a tool called Poland. Written by Matthew Butterick, so he was a guy who wrote Beautiful Racket and also a guide for typography for lawyers or something like that. And I I, I like his writing and I like the way that he he built a lot of the web stuff. So I I think because of Poland, I really want to learn. I should have explained Poland. So Poland is a static site generator, but it's done in a way that's drastically different from all the other static site generators. Well, I thought that's a claim of each static set generator, but anyway, I like Poland, so I'm kind of trying to learn Racket to be able to hack on Poland. So I have to ask Pine. You know, one of the challenges I think developers always have is there's the part of you that wants to build things, and then there's the part of you that wants to learn and grow. And clearly, learning is a big priority to you. But clearly, you also build tooling that's super, you know, useful to a lot of people. So do you have like a ratio that you try to strike with your time where you're like, I want to devote like at least Half my time to you know like R and D every week or like how do you kind of strike that balance between learning but also still doing things like and applying those skills? It's very hard to answer, but I think there are two kind of aspect to it. The first thing is that I don't really think I learn by just learning; I learn by doing. So I kind of like try to do projects, and while I'm doing projects, I'm trying to learn. So for example, I was building a side project that helps me manage. Some of my things, and I'm trying to build a server-side components in Golang because I have always thought about learning Golang, and I felt the best way to do that is just to start a project with it. So I felt I don't really particularly try to strike a balance between 
one or two. I just try to do both together. I learn while I'm doing. So I would try to start new projects that helps me learn. So recently, one of the recent examples is I did a sponsor map basically using GraphQL to pull all my sponsors' data and their locations and then try to put them together on a map box map. I think there are a lot of things I learned along the way, like how to do GitHub Actions so that you can pull some data and transform them into a TypeScript file that type checks with everybody else. And then how to do Mapbox mapping a little bit. Yeah, those are just things I have never tried before. And each time I start a new project, I will try to you know use that as an opportunity to learn new things. And I think that's the best way for me to learn because if I were just reading the docs, I would never learn. <laughs> Excellent points. But another aspect to what you said is that I think for learning, what I meant by learning is that I usually try to learn outside the realm of computer science and programming. So for example, some of the books I'm reading now, they're kind of like more art or design or about philosophy. I think from those books, I get most of my ideas. I do think I like to branch out from programming because I love programming itself. It's not really that interesting to me. So for example, for programming, I Certain people enjoy and say, okay, I will create the most minimal operating system that's based on C that, you know, has a really uh, tactual interface. And some people will say, okay, enjoying creating the fastest database that can read billions of records per second. I, I feel like those are one part of programming. There are people who are kind of like interested in building large apps in programming. But for me, what I'm most interested in is about how programming relates to all other disciplines in our life and how programming relates to the society. And uh, those are the parts that I'm trying to explore. So I'm, I would rather sign up for a course in sociology or philosophy or design rather than sign up for a course in programming. So that's how I learn and try to improve my ways of thinking, I think. So yeah, when I learn, I don't really try to learn too much programming. I just use it as a tools to execute my ideas. But I don't try to proactively learn that much. I just try to grab certain tools so to advance my projects. That's it. Yeah, I, I love that mental model so much. You know, there's that cliche from Steve Jobs that talks about like connecting dots in your life. And I think when it comes to innovation, a lot of times we forget it's easy to like to your point of like trying to study something deeply to innovate. But a lot of times innovation is really just borrowing ideas from other fields and just bringing them into a field that's never thought of it that way before. Sorry, can I jump in on that? Because that's also a speech I really like. And there is a point that I really want to point out because I think Ari or Tessa can relate to this best because I think both of you do a lot of design. I think part of learning is learning to innovate and to get new ideas. Part of it is trying to understand the different perspective. And I think for, especially for people who are in the field of design, they have eyes that can see things that other people cannot really do. And I think you can train yourself to do that. And I think that's really important to programmers because I think a lot of people, they, they're kind of like accustomed to seeing things in a certain way that they are not really able to see it in other ways. But I think, for example, I, I like that speech because I think that was one of my initial prompt to learn typography because I felt that was something that's almost invisible to a lot of people. But that's actually what a lot of people care. It's almost like the moment you go into a coffee shop, you know if you want to stay here for a whole afternoon. It's all those details that matters to you, but those are invisible and those are really hard to talk about. But making those things right just 
makes everything better. And I felt like, you know, like to me, I felt Apple attract a lot of the greatest designers to use its hardware and software because it has it has paid most of the attention to the details in its design in the past. And I felt that has resonated with a lot of people, although they might not explicitly saying that, oh, just because of that rounded corner that I'm attracted to use Mac. But I do think we perceive those things and we react to those things. And I think for me, other than learning to innovate on new ideas, I also want to learn to be able to see certain things that you know people of other disciplines can also see. So that's one of the reasons I'm learning to draw watercolor, although it's really hard for me. In tech, we talk a lot about Dunning-Kruger, like this idea that the less experience you have, the less you can see your shortcomings. And in the art world, I've heard it called The Eye by uh, YouTuber Saikra Yasin. And I think the idea there is just the reason you feel like, at least in art, you get worse, the better you get is because your eye can recognize and take in more information and you have more experience to evaluate and analyze what you see. And so I think that probably learning to expand your vision in fields beyond programming is powerful for that reason as well. I don't think it's an odd opinion to hold, but I do think it's one that we don't hear that often in tech. So I'm curious, coming at it from the other angle, if you could talk about like what got you into programming. Yeah, to be honest, I really hated programming when I was in college. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay, everybody does that because basically when I was in my sophomore year, I was saying, okay, what are the courses I'm going to take next? Okay, operating systems sounds interesting, but seems boring. Algorithms, okay, definitely boring. And then computer vision. <laughs> oh uh, computer vision, oh no, like, I don't know, like, I don't really want to spend so much time studying mathematical algorithms or, like, theory. So I was like, okay, none of this interests me. So, like, in my sophomore year, I was kind of like, okay, thinking computer science has so many requirements, so I want to switch major. So I switched to info science major, which has, you know, like, 10 courses less than computer science major, so that I can take other courses. Some of the courses I've taken are, I think, philosophy and uh, photography and uh, architecture and the vision of art or like visual arts. And I have taken courses in traditional Japanese Buddhism. And I think those really opened my eyes to different disciplines and areas. And I think they enriched me so much, like even after I graduated. I never regretted like taking a step to get out of my comfort zone and trying to learn a little bit other areas. Yeah, that's how I started computer science because I really hated that. So I tried to branch out to other fields and then I tried to, you know, like sometimes build websites for other people because those people don't really know too much about programming. Some people might say, oh, that's a kind of unorthodox start. But that's how I just started. I started by not really liking computers, pure computer science too much. I started by liking other fields. Wait, 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 but I feel like we missed a step here. Did you just wake up one day or like the movie of your life started and you were like, I'm a computer science student. (laughs) (laughs) How did you get there? I don't know. So for example, uh, I think I read a lot because at that time I was kind of thinking about, yeah, not continuing my college because I felt computer science too boring. And I don't really like learning in the class. Then one day, I think I was reading this essay by Paul Graham. So he was writing Hackers and, Pain- Pain- uh, Hackers and Painters. And I think that has a huge influence on me. Basically, okay, so in C- structure interpretation of computer programmers, it 
talks a little bit about why computer science is a misnomer, because it's very little about science. It's more about kind of art. And then he was specifically talking about, yeah, there are certain paths where you can grow up to be a kind of more like a mathematician or physicist, or there are other paths where you can build for other people. And then it's also with the essay that hackers and painters, there are people who just like to hack, like to realize their ideas with programming. I felt that fits me much better than yeah, a traditional programmer. So I kind of just say, okay, I I have the choice in my life. I can choose whatever I'm interested to learn. Would I choose programming or would I choose to do something else that I really liked? And I think Steve Jobs also said something like, if you wake up in the morning and then look at the mirror and then if 30 days you are thinking you're doing the wrong things, then you should probably switch out. So I kind of said, okay, I will just switch out, give it a try. And uh, it has worked out. Initially, I was really like afraid because I was worried I would not get a job because I don't really have a proper computer science degree or stuff. But yeah, I got a job. I mean, did you like programming before that? Or why did you decide to enter into a degree initially? Because it must have been a tough choice to decide to switch out. Oh, no. I think basically I first went to that because it is the highest paid. <laughs> I mean, smart. Perfectly <laughs> <laughs> valid. Valid yeah, reason. And, uh, <laughs> It's the most well-paid major you can take in your college, and uh, it's something that I don't hate. I think my my relationship with programming is similar to my relationship with math. I used to be really good at math in my junior school, and I was in some of the local Olympics. And uh, I felt like I don't like math, but I like to use math as a way to realize my ideas. So I felt programming is the same thing. Like I don't. Yeah, I didn't really enjoy programming, but I after graduation, I want to be independent. I want to earn myself a life. And then I think everything can start after that. So I said, okay, I will just learn this. And it's a nice skill to have. Yeah, so I just went with that. But now looking back, I felt really grateful because I felt a lot of the changes in the society, they're prompted by the by code and by coding and by information. So I felt, yeah, I learned the right track because I felt now... I, People from all other disciplines, they want to learn a little bit of programming. So now I have the advantage of having non-programming and branching out to other fields. So I have the, yeah, I have the knowledge and I have the skill to build. So I am glad I made the choice, but it was a hard choice for me. We are all very glad you made that choice too. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if anybody on this show has heard, but... I think a new version of Vue is is coming out soon or came out kind of. So, Pine, can you talk a bit about how that affects your plans? Maybe a bit more about the work you've been doing in TypeScript. Basically, for Vue 3, I was involved in early discussions about a class-based component API, although that didn't really go through. But then I spent a lot of time arguing that it shouldn't be included. That was how I started getting involved in Vue 3. Before that, I didn't really look at Vue 3 properly. But I think that was a year and a half ago. And yeah, after that, mostly, I think to be honest, I only did a really little support for Vue 3 because for Vue 3, you already export TypeScript definition from the original Vue file. And I can just use the same logic of handling Vue 2 as I can support Vue 3 in the same way that I support Vue 2 with very little changes. So the line changes are literally just five lines, so then I can support Vue 3. Some of the things that I'm trying to support are, so for example, there is a new RFC called Script Setup. 
So it will drastically reduce the reduce the amount of code that you need to write to set up a component. And I think that's super useful. And I really want to support that. For those people who don't know, so basically, let's say you have single file components, you can say export default, and then you can export a object literal. And it's just a plain object. It's not wrapped by view. And then in the view loader, view loader will wrap that in a view call. So basically what Vitor does is that Vitor wraps that object literal by doing a AST transformation. So basically just making TypeScript look at this code and basically cheat on TypeScript to say, okay, this is not object literal. This is just a view.extend call. And make TypeScript believe that and not really yeah, keeping up on parsing that file and try to offer all the language features that it does such as auto-completion and diagnostic errors. So that's how Vitor works under the hood. So for view 3, basically we just change the different wrapper because in a view 2 is view.extend, this view 3 is defined component. Yeah, but that's basically all the changes I need to do for supporting view 3. Yeah, that's incredible to think that even though view 3 has been rewritten basically from the ground up with TypeScript, that you know with five lines of code, you can basically effectively support both. This goes to show how incredible like you said good tooling when written well can really go a long way to enable those sort of ideas so we are looking forward to enhanced feature support for sure for v3 i think basically because it's really easily adapted to support other html languages i think svelte is using my infrastructure to support svelte in TypeScript, and i think there was a, a language by ebay and then they were or a framework by ebay and they're also using my tooling and I think for Angular, they were borrowing some of my ideas to do uh, type checking. So I think, I don't know, it has helped other people to support their language as well. And yeah, I thought that's okay. Yeah, I'm glad to push the web forward for better editor support for all the components, uh, for all the frameworks, I think. Yeah, anything to push the web forward for sure. Well, with that, I think we can start wrapping up for this episode. Pine, so if people want to find you on the internet of things, where could they find you? I think i mostly on GitHub. I'm almost sometimes active on Twitter, although I try to stay away from Twitter a little bit because I'm kind of like thinking, oh. <laughs> yeah, I try to follow people who are doing art or photography, but not really too many people doing programming and politics. Yeah, sorry about that, but I there are just so many things that I can handle. So um, I don't really use Twitter that much. Sometimes I do use that to announce Twitter features. I also have a blog. It's blog.matsu.io. And then Matsu stands for Pine in Japanese, by the way. So that's why I got the Matsu.io domain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's where you can find me. You can also send me emails. Yeah, I sometimes... I enjoy reading people's emails. So a while ago, I received an email from a guy in Lagos in Nigeria. And he was talking to me how he enjoyed using Twitter. And I'm kind of like, wow, totally. I never expected that I can build something that supports people from Africa. And I, I just felt super happy to hear that. So do send me emails. And uh, yeah, feel free to talk to me on the, over the internet. Sounds great. Well, with that, I think it's time for us to move on to picks. Tessa, would you like to get us started? Wow. Okay. I wasn't expecting to be first. Uh, yeah. So my first pick is from this company called Moft Z. And they run a lot of Kickstarters. And they made this thing called the 5-in-1 sit-stand desk. And it's basically like this vinyl-covered piece of board that you can configure into different shapes to raise your laptop up off the desk. And it's kind of like maybe a good elbow height for me. 
if you needed a daily driver for like a standing desk, it probably wouldn't do the job. But I think for having something portable that folds flat, it's pretty nice. Also, when I was helping somebody do some UX research, they mentioned that their workbook club really enjoyed this book called The Dance of Anger by Harriet Lerner. And I've been listening to the audiobook by Barbara Caruso. So in an earlier episode, Ben talked about nonviolent communication. And I think while that book certainly has value, if you're a person who is maybe socialized to put other people's feelings ahead of you, then it's a bit, the book feels a bit of an imbalanced read. And so this is kind of the other side of that coin. And even though it's about facing and accepting anger, it's like very calming to listen to, which is good because I feel like the pandemic has been getting to me this month. I've been feeling kind of depressed, but when I go out for my physical therapy appointments, like Sometimes when I feel really suffocated, I like to just sit in the car with the door open and I'm like half in the car and half out of the car. And I don't feel like exposed because I'm inside the car, but you know, the door's also open. So I'm also outdoors. So that's, that's been a nice experience. I was sneaking a peek ahead to Pines Links. And one of them reminded me of this article I read last year in Parametric Press called Unraveling the JPEG. And it's about how they're encoded and how they delete information that supposedly we can't see to shrink or downsample the file size. And they have this example of a cat and they show you how you can edit parts of the encoding one line at a time to change the picture, like using text instead of the images. Yeah. And then my final pick, if Pine doesn't mind me sharing it, is just his photography. I've seen a couple photos and they're really nice. Yeah, but I would totally read the unraveling the JPEG. It looks really interesting. Yeah. It went over my head, but <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> awesome. Ari, what do you have for us this week? I have a ridiculous pick, or maybe it's more of a useful pick uh, as opposed to my usual, you know, just go watch stuff that will rot your brain. <laughs> <laughs> I am actually going to pick Ren Pierre's Rosemary Mint Cleansing Conditioner. So some of you may be shampooing your hair every day with shampoo. You should stop that. It is not good for your hair. Your hair does not like it. Trust me. (laughs) This is a good alternative. If you are one of those people that feels the need to cleanse your hair every day, it's non-foaming and will actually condition your hair as it cleans it. So your hair is much happier and shinier. And this is an overshare, but if you're like me and you happen to have an oily scalp, this actually makes it less oily because you're not stripping all of its natural oils away. So it feels the need to like overload them back in. So that is my pick. Good pick. Pine, what do you have for us this week? Okay, first I would just say I will try to probably build a photograph portfolio. So maybe Tessa can link to that. (laughs) 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 No worries, no worries. I plan to do that anyway as well. Yeah, but for me, I think I just try to pick the random set of things. Not not really a random set of things, but a set of things that I think, I don't know, because I... I think if you were to leave this podcast with a message, I think I would leave with a message that I try to explore other fields rather than programming and uh, see different ways of thinking and doing things with programming. And I think my picks are, yeah, I, I felt a lot of them. The first one is basically a really inspiring talk by Britt Victor, the same guy I talked before who did a video called Inventing a Principle. His idea was you can create certain medias to bring out expressions and people that's otherwise unthinkable or unimaginable. And uh, I think that's my kind of ultimate goal, to create tools that helps people to make certain things that's otherwise undoable. Yeah, so I think that's just a really inspiring thing. Oh, the second thing, it's the coolest thing on the internet I've seen, 
for a long time, and it is built with Vue. Like I was totally not surprised because I have all the cool projects are built with Vue. <laughs> <laughs> but if you open pull that FM, I think I don't know. Like yeah, everybody is stuck inside in COVID because of COVID nineteen. I think pull side FM is just one of the best things for people who are indoors. So Tesla give it a try. I think you will love it totally. <laughs> it's just so amazing. Like it's an FM that plays a lot of kind of music and some graphics that makes you feel you're on a beach. I'm amazed how they do that, but they were able to do that. It's just amazing to me. The third one is about a guy who was doing generative art and how he was trying to use programming to draw watercolor. And I think that's a kind of very unorthodox way of doing programming. But I think what he was able to achieve is really cool. So yeah, I don't know. I thought programming can also be using this kind of ways. So yeah, maybe give it a look and if you like it. The fourth and fifth ones are, yeah, the first one is a community uh, and they also host a lot of podcasts. And uh, I think those are podcasts that I really enjoy listening recently. Besides ours, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's a very kind of like academic kind of podcast. Basically talks about how a lot of people are thinking, oh, what could the future programming be? So yeah, so give it a try if you but of course listen to this podcast as well otherwise you couldn't find the other ones <laughs> <laughs> so the new media reader is something that i'm reading recently i really enjoyed that book it's basically talking about all this new media that happened because of coding and the internet and programming and how they shape our lives so if you're interested in the points i talk about yeah how technology shapes people's lives how you can create tools to give people different ways of thinking. I think this would be a great read. So I really enjoyed that. So that's my five picks. It's a lot. By the way, I had a chance to check on Poolside.fm. It is that's amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It is legit. Yeah, I know everybody would love it. So that's why I'm putting it here. It's beautiful with you. Go to the inspector tool and look at it. You see oh. you over there. <laughs> you know, that, that's one of the things I like because I felt a lot of people use Vue for creativity projects, and uh, sometimes they just love to see creativity projects backed by Vue. I feel, you know, certain people in Vue community, they have a playfulness that's not really found in other communities. So, yeah, I do enjoy seeing that built by Vue. That's great. Yeah, I wish we were playful too, but I don't I don't know if you knew this. We have a no fun picks allowed rule. Oh, okay. No fun. <laughs> oh, okay. She, she's totally joking. <laughs> That's basically um, all we do. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And with that, for my pick, I have just the one pick. Is it a fun one? To me, it's fun. So it's not fun. That's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> my my one pick for this episode is Pine's GitHub sponsor. As we have heard, Pine does a lot of incredible work for the Vue community. And so if you or your company can find any way to sponsor him, 100%, I totally would basically that is my pick so check out his github sponsor and yep that is my pick because pine is awesome and deserves all the sponsors possible yeah thank you so much i hope one day i can back from the community and try to are able to create open source yeah indefinitely but yeah i think i try to strike a good balance so probably spend half of my time doing open source and trying to uh, earn a living by that I don't really live in, you know, luxury hotels or stuff. I try to live very affordably, but I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I'm really happy to see sponsors because it's almost feeling that your work is supported by people over the old world. You have a real connection with them. And I really like that feeling. 
So yeah, if you're sponsoring me, thank you so much. Yeah, I see Ben sponsoring me, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, thank you so much, Pine, for joining us this episode. It's been an absolute delight. And hopefully everyone, uh, yeah, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And until next time, enjoy the view. <laughs> Weirdest transition ever, Ben. <laughs> Very smooth. Very smooth.